I, I can start this out this morning by just asking you a simple question. How many of you in here, in here are rich? Anybody? Amen. That's the best answer I heard all day. We should have got more than one amen out of that one. 20 Bibles in your home. Amen. How many of you consider yourself? That's how many you counted? Yeah. You lost count after 20? But how many of you consider yourself rich? <clears throat> Not a lot of hands will go up, of course, you know, because we associate it. Amen. I see that hand, and I too am rich. And we can go over a lot of statistics as to why we're rich, that why we're more wealthy or wealthier than most people on the planet. But when we talk about that word rich and how we're blessed, it, it, it oftentimes, when we say rich, it oftentimes goes towards our finances, what our income is, you know, how well off are we, how well do we do with our spending, how much do we have in the bank, all of these things. So our minds kind of go to that. At, but this morning, what I want to talk to you about, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, as we start off, and I think this is a great place I mean, after all, God is the one that, that uh, inspired Paul to write these writings. So he's talking about uh, the blessings that we received, and it's a great place for us to start. Not only that we have received, but we continue to receive and that we will receive in glory for those of us that know Christ as his Savior. And that's what I want to kick off this morning about because we, also, we want to kick this off on a good note. It's a very encouraging letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians. And I want us to understand that, that first and foremost, Paul wanted them to see, and I want you to see today, that it all begins with our blessings. And if we can see that, and we can see our worth in Christ, that we can do so much that we can move any mountain that's, that, that's in our way, any obstacle that's in our way, and do the work of Christ. Just because if we just look at our blessings, we try to count them, we try to understand exactly what God has given us. And I'm not talking about material things. But more importantly, I want to discuss the spiritual things this morning of our blessings. From the, first, or from the first chapter of Ephesians, chapter 1, I've asked you to find it. I gave you some time to sit down. I'm asking you to stand again in the honor of the reading of God's Word from Ephesians 1, verse 1. And this is what Paul starts out writing. He says, he says here, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus, and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose for him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption as the sons of Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. Verse 9, Paul writes, He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed to him with a view to the administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained the inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. To the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed with him in the Holy Spirit of promise, 
who is given, who has given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we read this this morning, Father, it's an awful lot of information to take in. But I pray that this morning you'll, you'll slow our minds down, Father, and you'll allow us to see the blessings that lie within the words that we've read. Father, they're not just words written on a paper, Father, but they, are, they have been a promise to us, and you have held your promises together, Father. You have blessed us beyond measure, and I pray, Father, that as I speak as a dying person to dying people, that you allow us to see life in the blessings that we receive from you, Father. May we see life that regenerates us. May we see lively blessings, Father, that will encourage us to go out and share those blessings with others, to share the insight and the wisdom that you have given us, Father, so that others can come to the place where they understand who Christ is and what he has done for them as he's done for me. Father, I thank you for this time for us to learn. I pray that you'll equip us during this time to learn, and I pray that you will send us out with what we have learned. Closer to you, for you, Father, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Now, the Apostle Paul, he first visited Ephesus. There's, there's three missionary journeys that are commonly recorded in God's Word. They were really all one mission. Uh, he just repeated that cycle. He went back to those places. But they, they separate them out as three missionary journeys. When Paul first got to Ephesus, it was around 53 A.D., the first time that he visited Ephesus. He didn't stay very long. However, sometime later on his third missionary journey, Paul returned to Ephesus, and he spent almost two years in Ephesus working with the people, evangelizing the area, making disciples of Christ, and he worked very closely with the people in Ephesus. The, the people of Ephesus, uh, they, they worshipped, uh, predominantly they wor- worshipped a, a, a goddess called Diana, and he had successfully planted a church in Ephesus and he was making a huge difference for God. And as a matter of fact, I should say that God was making a huge difference through the Apostle Paul when he planted him there in Ephesus. Paul stayed there for, uh, after Paul left there after about two years, he returns, uh, uh, he, he, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, he doesn't return again, but he, he ends up finding himself in Rome in prison where he's standing trial for his own life. If you remember, he appealed to Caesar when the Jews wanted to kill him and they took him to Rome so that he could appeal his case to Caesar. I'm just kind of giving you some background as to where Paul was. Now, Paul finds himself in prison around 62 or 63 AD, right around in that area, and this is the time that he writes the letter to Ephesus. Why is this important? Why did I give you all of that useless information just now to back up what I'm about to say about our blessings? Well, it's very important for us to understand that Paul was very concerned about Ephesus, so much so that he not only went through there teaching and, and trying to have a, a missionary journey, he, he was... He was uh, uh, he, was, he was there preaching the first time. He returned some years later and stayed another two years. It's very important to understand that Paul was very concerned about the people of Ephesus. Now, when he wants to go back and visit with the people of Ephesus, he can't do so, so he decides that he's going to write them a letter. My point behind all this is, is that Paul never forgot the people of Ephesus and the work that God was doing there. Wouldn't that be a great concept if we in our churches remembered that we are responsible for the communities around us and that we not forget them? Wouldn't it be wonderful if everyone that was concerned about this, about this community every Sunday would show up in the churches around this area 
I would love for them to come to Holmes Avenue, but if they go to another place, but wouldn't it be great if we were so concerned about our community that the churches were overflowing in this area? A lot of the empty pews that you might see might be where people that should be sitting there that were not concerned about others and about their community, but only for themselves. Maybe, I don't know. But wouldn't it be great if this church was filled and the other churches were filled with people that really wanted to display the blessings they received from God like Paul did? So Paul writes this letter back, and this is where we find ourselves at the beginning of this letter. It's a very encouraging letter, and, I, and as I said earlier, Paul starts out pointing the things that are good. He points out these positive things. He points out how rich the people of Ephesus are. Now, now God has, has preserved that word, and he has passed it on down to us for us to read today. So this is, the, the reason it is recorded is so that you and I can understand that we have those same blessings in Christ. That Ephesus, remember God doesn't change. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. God will never change. So those same blessings that he had for the people of Ephesus that Paul writes about are the very same blessings that he has for us. You can associate yourself with people 2,000 years ago in the city of Ephesus and connecting with those people by one thing, and that is God's Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. So the, the three things that I want us to point out this morning, I want to point out, and I want you to understand, is the blessings that we have on, in our life, the riches that we have in Christ. What is our worth in Christ? And we'll recognize what our worth in Christ is by the blessings that, re, that we have received. Before I get into those blessings, I want to look at the first thing, which is this. I want to look at the saints of God's blessings. The saints of God's blessings. Now, I want to clarify this up, and, and I could spend you know, just a very few moments, or I could just say a few things about saints, but I want us to understand exactly what saints are, because we have to figure out, we have to understand, and we have to know, and we have to be confident about how worthy we are in Christ, about what our self-worth is in Christ, and we're going to start by that word saints, because this is where Paul starts. If, if you look here, and I'll read verses 1 and 2 again, it says, Paul, he's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. He, he was, Paul didn't think that this was just a good idea. God called him to do this. This was God's will in his life. Paul heeded to that will, so this is the will of God. He says, to the saints who are at Ephesus. Now, he uses that word saints, to the saints who are at Ephesus. Now, he writes this. So you get the idea that these weren't the only saints around on this earth, right? These are just the saints at Ephesus. So the way it's reading is that there's saints other, other places. Now, today we typically reserve sainthood for, for what? For who? Dead people, don't we? As a matter of fact, I'm going to get into that and I'm going to explain that process of how it goes because I want you to understand that if you are born again in Christ that you are a saint. I want to explain this very carefully. You see, saints are alive. They're not dead. Saints are actually alive. We use this word and we use it very carefully and, and we want to point out that only certain people are reserved for the word saint or sainthood. But that's not necessarily true. As a matter of fact, it's not true at all. The dictionary and the worldly dictionary just looking at it through a worldly, uh, a worldly view, the dictionary describes a saint as this. It is a person officially recognized for his holiness of life. Now, notice that that's written in the past tense. Is a person officially recognized, as if it was in the past tense, for holiness in their life. That's the worldview. It's a worldly process called canonization. 
Now, I want to explain to you just briefly what canonization is. It is a process of deciding what or who is declared sacred. It's a process by a group of men, a group of women, a group of men and women, a group of scholars. It's usually on a spiritual level. It could be some type of organization. It could be a church. It could be, it could be a diocese. It, it could be, it could be a, 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 a convention. It could be a committee. But a group of people get together and decide between themselves the criteria of how holy your life has been in order to make you a saint. So it is a process called canonization. It is a process of choosing people that have lived a godly life and even performing, in some cases, at least two miracles. As I was reading up on this the past week, because I, I was a little familiar with canonization, but I wanted to get a little deeper understanding of it, and I even read some of the criteria, and, and it varies from different organization to organization or different groups to different groups. And, and I read one that I found was very interesting, that, that they had to perform at least two miracles in order to be eligible for, the, for sainthood. And I thought that was interesting. I, I don't know why, I just thought it was interesting, but it tied in later with what God was showing me, and I'll, I'll get to that in just a moment. In this case, we're talking about, what we're talking about here is the decision of who is worthy of sainthood, and it's decided by men and women. So only the dead can become a saint, right? Wrong. That's absolutely wrong. The whole process is a worldview of sainthood. Now, what is God's perspective on the matter? Let's look at God's perspective. And I want us to understand sainthood so you can understand where your blessings are coming from and who you are in Christ. Saints are alive. This is God's process of sainthood. A saint is someone who has trust, trusted Christ as their Savior and is a, now alive in him, or should I say the Holy Spirit is alive in that person. When you come to know Christ as your Savior, you are a saint. You are alive. A saint, uh, the word saint is used in the New Testament to describe one who is saved or born again. Other words to describe the same person could be the words disciple or disciples or people of the way. You know, they used to call the Christians, they used to call it the way. In fact, I preached a sermon on that, the one-way street, and, and it was about Jesus being the way, the way, the truth, and the life. They used to be called, as a group of people, they're members of the way or people of the way. That was what they were commonly called. So sometimes you'll see this other wording, but it goes along with being another uh, name for someone that is born again. A born-again Christian could be a, a disciple, a saint, or someone of the way. A saint is alive in Christ. And when I said that a saint is alive... What I meant was, was not that he's just physically alive, walking and talking and breathing, because people that have gone on before us that knew Jesus Christ, they're still saints as well. In fact, the book of Revelation talks about saints in heaven. So we know that saints just aren't here on this earth, but they have also died, but it's not preserved for just the people that are dead. It's the people that are alive as well. Now, the reason I wanted to, to bring up this word alive is because it doesn't just mean living and breathing. It means alive means that they are alive in Christ, that the Holy Spirit that lives within them, lives within them, that lives within me, if you're born again, that lives within you, is made alive in Christ. And we're no longer dead. We're no longer spiritually dead, but we're alive and will be for all of eternity. Now, I know I've given you a lot of information on saints. So what I want you to understand is that saints are alive. And saints, and the reason why I told you that I thought it was interesting that in some, in some places uh, they require that a saint 
uh, uh, perform two miracles, saints don't necessarily perform miracles. In fact, only one miracle takes place uh, in each believer's life that they experience, and that is the miracle of salvation through Jesus Christ. That is the only miracle that they're associated with that's, that matters. That's the only thing that's, a matter, that's essential to salvation is the miracle of salvation through Jesus Christ. And might I add, hallelujah. So Paul, I've, I've wanted you to see this, to know that Paul is addressing who? The saints, the people that are alive. The people that are alive in Christ, the people that are born again. In fact, nine times in the entire chapter and the entire epistle, the entire letter, Paul mentions the word saints, and he addresses them as saints, and he refers to them that way. That sounds to me like they're very alive and well, doesn't it, you? So consider yourself a saint, not because Troy said it, not because Troy set up his little uh, board of canonizers up here, but because God said so. Saints are also, they're alive, but saints are also set apart. When a person is born again, he's set apart from this world. It goes along with the word sanctified. They're set apart for a certain thing. When Moses was going to fight against the Amalekites, God said, set aside for me the people that will go fight. He said, get them to consecrate themselves, to set themselves separate from the people, to, to, uh, to be able to cleanse themselves, to analyze their sin, to, 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 to ask me forgiveness of the sin, set them apart so that they can do my work. So a saint is someone who is set apart. The word holy means to be set apart. And what does God instruct us to do? Be holy. Why? Because he is holy. So that word holy or that word saint is to be set apart. Now what are we set apart from? And I want us to understand that. What are we set apart from? Well, we're set apart from this world. That's what we're set apart from. We are in this world as a born-again Christian, but we are not of this world. It, it's kind of like if you go swimming at the beach. How many of you have been to the beach already this year? I mean, it's been so hot. We should have all been at the beach. One person has been to the beach this year. What'd you do, run everybody off? When you go swimming and you dive into the water, and of course here in Charleston, if you open your eyes, you can't see anything. It's all muddy water, right? But let's say you go down to Bermuda, which by the way, um, me and my wife are going to Bermuda here in a couple months. We just booked it and I can't wait. Never been there and I'm, I'm ha- going to have a blast. I know we are. But you go there where the waters are clear and you dive into that water and you can see the fish and you can see and you go snorkeling. You've, you've dove in that water and you're exploring a world that you are in but you are not a part of. Set aside from the snorkel or the scuba diving tanks or whatever that you might be doing, you are not a fish, you are not of their world. You can't communicate with them, you can't understand them, they can't understand you. You are in their world, but you are not of their world. Does that make sense? When you are a born-again Christian, you are not of this or you are not of this world, but you are in it. So we could, should kind of feel alienated. Any of you feel alienated from time to time in a worldly setting or a worldly atmosphere if you don't there's something wrong you need to question why you're not but you should feel alienated during those times because you are set apart is a fact Jesus even said in John chapter 17 verse 14 I have given them your word and the word and uh, given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world he's talking about of course people that are born again his disciples the saints 
They are not of this world. So there is the saints. I want you to understand that as a saint, you are set apart, and we should act it. We are set apart. And then the third thing, when I'm talking about saints are alive and the the saints uh, of the blessings, because we haven't got to the blessings yet. We haven't even got to the good part. There's the saints' salvation. So there's the saints that are alive. Saints are set apart, but they also receive salvation. How do we become saints? How did the Ephesians become saints? How did they do it? Two words that we can see. Two words that you will see in verse 2. He says, grace to you and peace. I'm sorry, in verses 1 and 2. He says, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from the Lord our God and Father and Lord of Jesus Christ. Two words. We see faith and we see grace. Those two words are the only means of salvation in our life. It is by faith alone, through grace alone, that we are saved. In Ephesians 2, 7, and 8, it says this. In verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. So you notice that Paul writes in there, he writes about the faithful, and he writes about them receiving grace. And that lines up later with what he says in the next chapter. And I don't know who's preaching on chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. I hope I didn't spoil it for you. But, but what I'm doing is, is, is solidifying for you that a saint is saved the same way that we are, by faith and by grace. It was not their faithful lives that made them saints. It was faith in Christ Jesus by his grace that they were saved and they became saints. Can we all agree on that at this point? As I want us to understand, I want you to understand your worth in Christ as a saint and that we should act like it and that we should know it. And man, we should own it. Amen? We should just own it. So having said that, those are the saints of God's blessings. Now I want to look at the sources of those blessings. Let's look at the sources of the blessings that God has for us that Paul is going to point out here. I think you're going to love it. I think you're going to love it. Because the first time I saw this, I'm, man, there's so much information here. In fact, I could preach another 30 minutes on the sainthood, and I could spend another three weeks on the source of blessings, and I could spend another month on the third point. But for the sake of time, let's look at what we can look at right now. And in verse 3, Let's look at the source of our blessings. Just in verse 3 alone, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Um, um, I'm sorry, it jumped on me. I apologize. In the heavenly places in Christ. So we need to look at our sources of blessing. First thing I want to see in our sources of blessing is the measure of God's blessings. Who's bigger than God? Who's richer than God? What is bigger than God and what is richer, to, richer than God? Absolutely nothing. And I want us to understand the scope and the realm, the, the height and the depth, the measure of God's blessings. Our blessings come from God and therefore they're immeasurable. If no one or nothing is richer than God, then you see how big your blessings are. So, so far so that we can't see the end of them. God, God is so rich in blessings that he gives us, not just financially and not just by money, 
Not just by material things, but in our relationships, in our walk with Christ, in our relationships with our coworkers or our families or our spouses. We are so blessed to have the opportunities to have these people in our lives. So we are rich in God's grace. We're not rich on our own account. You can make a lot of money and you can make millions and you can be a self-proclaimed millionaire by the time you're 30. I was a self-proclaimed millionaire by the time I was 40 and I was working on my second million. Well, I'd spent the first million, so I started working on my second million. Y'all will get that in a minute. Y'all have to go back and watch, rewatch the, the, the tape. But, but anyway, I made my first million. Now I'm working on my second. I spent it. Okay. All right. Let me get back on track. You know, I try and I try and I try to be a comedian, but it just doesn't work and I don't understand it. Nobody will call me. None of the agents will call me back. I just don't get it. But let me get back to what God's word says. Maybe I'm better at that. Amen. We're rich in God. (laughs) That was a little too strong there. That was a little too strong. (laughs) Yeah, give up the comedian, Troy. Listen, we're rich in God's grace. Ephesians 1.7, just look a, a couple of verses down. It says, in him we have redemption through the blood and the forgiveness of our trespasses according to what? The riches of his grace. The riches of his grace. Ephesians 2.7 says, and again, I hope I haven't messed this up for whoever's preaching this part, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. We are rich not only in God's grace... But we are also rich in God's glory. So we're rich in God's grace. This is the measure of God's grace. We're rich in his grace. We're rich in his glories. Ephesians 3.16 says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. So God has uh, has blessed us with his grace. He's blessed us with his glory. And he's also, uh, we're made rich in God's mercy. In God's mercy, in Ephesians 2, 4, it says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. So we are rich in God's grace, in his glory. It just doesn't get any better than that. And we are rich in his mercy. Now that's the measure of God's love. Let's, let's look how high it is. How high and what is the height of God's blessing? It says there in verse 3, every spiritual blessing every spiritual blessing. And, and he also uses these two words, found uh, in, or in every spiritual blessing, I'm getting ahead of myself, not only our spiritual blessings, but every need that we have, God has blessed us with. And remember, God never promised us to give us all everything that we wanted, but he did promise us that he would provide everything that we need. And so far as I see you sitting here, living, breathing, and clothed, God has provided everything that you need. And I think we would all agree that he's given us so much more. But he never promised that, but he did promise us. In Philippians 4.19, he says, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He does not promise more than we need, but because of his love, uh, because of his love, he blesses us beyond our needs. It's the spiritual. The spiritual is far more important than the the material. He has given us everything and every spiritual blessing under heaven. Now, that is the height of God's blessings. Let's look at the depth of God's, uh, 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 God's blessings. He uses two words, in the heavenly places. 
It's the, the unsaved focus on the things of this world. Don't, don't you agree about that? When you were, before you were born again, everything was about me and it was about how I could get ahead and about how I can do this, how I can do that. We had a worldly out, outlook. The unsaved or the sinner focuses on the things of the world. The Christian focuses on the heavenly things. So that's why Paul uses the, the, the term, he's blessed you with things in the heavenly places, the, the spiritual things, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Our citizenship, and why does he say our, the heavenly places? Because one, our citizenship is in heaven, uh, according to Philippians 3.20. I didn't put that one on the board. Uh, our name is written in heaven, according to Luke chapter 10, verse 20. And our Father is in heaven, according to Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So my point to you is this, and what I'm trying to say to you today, that the depth of our blessing... Is because our citizenship is in heaven, our name is written in heaven, and our Father is in heaven who blesses us with all spiritual blessings under heaven. We are physically here in this world and we have work and responsibilities here. However, we are spiritually, uh, 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 we're spiritually in heaven and should be focusing our work and our responsibilities as our hearts lead us in heavenly places. Now I want to look at the third thing and I'll close with this. And this one's even better than the first two. Because I want, to, I want to share with you exactly, specifically how you were blessed. And these are spiritual blessings that God gives us. And I want us to all to be able to leave here being focused on the blessings, those spiritual blessings that God has given us. And I want to look at the persons of our blessings. And you heard me look at the persons of our blessing. When, when we sang this song just a little while ago, the new doxology, and in the doxology... It, it says in the new doxology, and I'm, I'm just going to pick this up. I didn't even know Debbie, Debbie was going to sing this today. I didn't know she picked this up. Let us exalt on bended knee. Praise God, the Holy Trinity. Because you see, the spiritual blessings that you receive, and Paul points this out very clearly, not only come from God the Father, but the spiritual blessings also come from God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And I'd like to point all three out for you this morning because the blessings don't just come from one, they come from the persons of the blessings and that is the Holy Trinity. You see, our blessings, first of all, the persons comes from God the Father. Look what it says in verse four. And I'll go through this very quickly. I know it seems like a lot of information, but I'm gonna take you through the end of this, uh, this, this segment to, to, to uh, verse 14. But in verse four it says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. Now listen, God the Father has chosen us. He chose you. Before the foundations of the world were even laid, before the plan was even laid, God chose you. Is that not a blessing? Come on, church. God chose you. Oh, I'm going to get to one in a minute. It's going to make you kind of look side-eyes at me, but I'm going to share it with you. You see, God chose us. What a blessing. We didn't choose God. John 15, 16 says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. You see, we didn't choose Christ. Christ chose us. God chose us. He predestined us. He elected us. Now, I could go on and on 
about this right here. We could, we could preach for a, a solid month on this topic alone. But know that he chose us. God seeks us, not the other way around. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. It didn't say we sought God because we were lost. He came and chose us. People say, you know, I found God. Well, guess what? God wasn't missing. Y'all have heard that a thousand times. I don't need to try to throw that joke out there. But it's, it is so true. God was never lost. And God came and sought us out. What a blessing. What a blessing. Let me move on. He adopted us. Not, not only did he choose us, but he adopted us. What, what a blessing that is. Look what it says in verse 5. In verse 5, we read, he says, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. You see, God adopted us. Not only did he adopt us, but who did he adopt us to? Himself. Is there anybody in here, if you don't mind me asking, if you, if, if you do, if you've adopted a child, have you ever adopted a child? You don't have to, if it's personal, you don't have to share. Why does a person adopt a child? Well, there's, there's many reasons that you can think off, off the top of your head. Maybe someone is, maybe someone is uh, they're not able physically to have children, whether it be the man or the woman, or it could be both. Uh, maybe they tried and tried and tried. It just wasn't possible. And they were getting later in years and they really wanted to have children. There's all kind of possible kind of reasons why someone might not be able to have a child. And then they seek out adoption. Why is that? Because they want to, they have love that they want to give. They, they've still got some love out there that they just have to give to this child to help a child grow, to nurture a child, to raise a child, to teach the child to walk, to talk, to feed him, to teach him about life, to teach him about Jesus. Because they have so much love to give. That's why Christ died for us. That's why God adopted us through Jesus Christ. Because he wants to have fellowship with us. He wants to love us. He wants to teach us. He wants to nurture us. He wants to feed us. He wants to love us. It's the same concept. So not only, not only does God the Father choose us, but he adopted us to himself. Could you imagine two parents adopting, or a couple adopting a children and the wife and the husband fought over and says, I'm going to keep them all to myself? Of course not. God says, I've adopted you to myself. You know what that means? That nobody else can have it. Nobody else gets to us. And now we understand why he said that not one can pluck them out of my hand. Hallelujah. He's adopted us to himself. We belong to God. Not only has he adopted us, but he accepts us. What a blessing. Look what it says in verse 6. I want you to keep these notes. I want you to study them. To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us, the beloved. You see, he accepts us. We don't accept him. People ask all of you, did you accept Christ as your savior? Baloney. You don't accept Christ. Christ accepts us. And it says so in verse, if he did not, if he did not accept us, then we would not have been given his grace. You see, he chose us after all. He accepts us into his fold. He accepts us and he adopts us. We don't accept Christ, we surrender to Christ. That's what we do. 
We surrender to Christ and ask him to please have us in the family. I would rather surrender to a loving God who provides these many blessings than to give in to the enemy when all he wants to do is destroy me. It's all about Jesus. Listen, that's what God the Father has done. That's his blessing. Now, I told you this is about the Trinity. I'm going to give you the other two very quickly. God the Son. Look what the God the Son does in verse 7. In verse 7, he redeems us. These are the blessings from God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. Now, who spilt the blood for us at Calvary? Jesus did. So, so you see, a blessing that we get from Christ is that he redeems us. There was, a, there was a price to pay. When you redeem something, you have to pay a price. And Christ paid the price at Calvary to redeem us because he loves us. He did that, and that is our, our blessing. In verse 7, look what the rest of it says. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Not only did he redeem us, but he forgives us. That is a blessing. Because without the forgiveness of sin, none of us would see the inside of the gates of heaven. So his blessings is not that he blessed me with a $100 bill in my back pocket every morning when I woke up mysteriously. He blessed me because he forgave me. Listen, all the riches that this world has to offer, compared to it compares not a bit to the riches that I'll have in heaven and the riches that I have spiritually through him in the heavenly places. So God the, God the Son forgives us. And he also, look what it says in verse 8. What does the Son do? Which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He has given us wisdom and he has given us insight. In verse 9, he reveals his will to us. He tells us things. How many of you work at a job or have worked at a job where it just seemed like everything was so secretive and nobody told you anything? Come on, let me see a show of hands. You ever worked there? Worked there right now? You're like, man, everything's a secret. It's like everything's a NASA space mission and we can't let anything out. I mean, it's like a military, uh, a, 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 a military um, uh, mission. We can't let anything know. Nobody knows anything. God actually tells us. God actually reveals things to us. In verse 9, that's what he's doing. In verse 9, it says, He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. So he reveals things to us. And verse 11, look what else Jesus, God the Son, does for us. Also, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose. Jesus gives us an inheritance when he died on the cross for you and you surrendered to him. Not accepted him, but surrendered to him. What a blessing. What a blessing. Now, I want to look at God the Holy Ghost, and musicians, you can come forward. Let's look at God the Holy Ghost. What, how has He blessed us? Well, for one, the Holy Ghost has sealed us. It says in verse 12 to the end that He, were, that he who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of glory in him. You also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit of promise. God has been giving the Holy Spirit to people every day when they surrender their lives to Christ. And I ask you today, if you've not surrendered and you don't have the Holy Spirit, come get some, amen? 
He's got a blessing waiting for you. The blessing of the Holy Spirit is waiting for you. The blessing of the Father and the Son are waiting for you. He sealed us. When the salvation process is complete, then we are completely sealed. You see, just because you surrender to Christ and you believe that he is the Son of God and you believe the virgin birth, that he died on the cross and rose on the third day, did you know that the salvation process is not finished? God, God has given you salvation, but he tells us to work out our salvation with what? Fear and trembling. That means that we walk every day and that we carry and we bear, bear our own cross. And when he takes us to glory and redeems us for the final time, only then is salvation complete. And that's what the Holy Spirit has given us. He's given us a pledge you see, he's, he, the, the Holy Spirit has sealed us until this process is finished. He has given us a pledge. How many of you have ever put earnest money down in a real estate deal? Come on, testify, brother. You just bought a brand new house. Hallelujah. God bless you. Love that Miranda. Congratulations. You put down earnest money. The Holy Spirit has put down a pledge. He's put down something earnest for you until that salvation process has been completed. The Holy Spirit comes to live within you. When God gives us the Holy Spirit, when we are saved, then this is an earnest or a pledge, and the process will be finished when he takes us to glory. Hallelujah. I want you to understand the blessings that you have in Christ, not just in your back pocket, not just in your front pocket, not underneath you when you're driving down the road or when you the key on that house at night. Those are not the only blessings. As a matter of fact, those are very, very minor compared to the spiritual blessings that you have in Christ. For without the spiritual blessings, we could never be blessed with material things. We'd be lost and floundering around. And when we left this world without Christ and without those blessings, without the Trinity, without God the Father the Holy, and the Holy Spirit and God the Son, we would be lost forever. Mike, would you come forward if you don't mind? Miss Rachel, if you'd come forward. As we sing this last song, I want you to analyze yourself and, and I want you to, to think about those blessings that God has bestowed on you. I want you to think about all that. I want you to reflect on the spiritual things that God has blessed you with. And then I'm going to challenge you to do this. Take those blessings extremely serious. Extremely serious. Listen, when Christ died on the cross, there were no jokes. There was no laughter. It was a dark and gruesome day. And he was serious about his love for you. He was serious about adopting you. He was serious about dying for you. And I think we ought to take his blessing serious in our life. As we sing this last hymn, if you would like to respond, I'd ask you to do so. And Mike's going to be up here and Rachel's going to be up here. If you'd like to talk with them or you want to pray for them or pray to or pray with them, if, if, if you've taken your, your, your blessings for granted, now's the time to lay that all on God's heart and say, I'm sorry. Show me and begin to show me through the weeks, the days, the weeks, the months, and the years how blessed I truly am. Let's stand and sing.